we had hoped that 2021 would be different, that it would be better after one of the worst years in the history of America in 2020, history of the world. And then this past week happened with the violent storming of our nation's capital. And many of us are upset. Many of us are angry. Many of us are afraid. Many of us are just, again, further divided. The division in our nation is just at its utter height. And we're not sure what to do, and we struggle, just as Brianna and uh, Pastor Lindsay said, it's just been a hard time, and we're here today, and we're, we're looking for answers, we're looking to express our feelings, we're looking for hope, and in the midst of all that, we continue to have anger, we continue to have bitterness, we continue to have fear. What's going to happen in a week and a half with the inauguration? Will we be safe? What is next down the pipeline? And we all have different opinions, and our nation is divided in what we believe ideologically. Even in the Christian church in America, even in South Park Church here in Charlotte and, and throughout the world, those of you who are watching, we have different ideas about what's going on and what is right. Some of us are outraged. Some of us are so angry at what happened this past week and we're calling for President Trump to be impeached or for to have Amendment 25 enacted and to remove him from office before the inauguration. I don't understand how people can't accept the election, that the people made the choice in America and it's time to move forward. And some of us are sympathetic to some of the thoughts behind those who protested on Wednesday that maybe there might have been something wrong with the election and we need to look into that. And that some of us are not ready for... President-elect Biden to be leading the nation. Some of us are between these poles. And I think about our African-American brothers and sisters here in America and in our church and, and my friends and, and those who are close to me and, and how you must be feeling right now and, and wondering if it had been a group of black people who marched upon the Capitol building, surely there would have been more violent repercussions and more casualties and it's a further reminder that maybe we really do live in two different Americas in the same place and we, we wrestle with this and there's just so much emotion and anger and, and division and we wonder what to do, what's the good news, where is the hope and I just hope that all of us will not condone the way that the storming of the Capitol happened with the violence with the disregard for law enforcement and our senators and our congressmen and women and, and, and what happened there, right? bludgeoning a police officer to death, right? it just, it, it, it's, it's not right. And in the midst of that, the images that, that I saw on my television screen, a fully erected gallows with a noose to hang someone with American flags flying behind it and signs that say, Jesus saves. Brothers and sisters, that is not a picture of the kingdom of God. And I don't think anything in that, what happened on Wednesday, honors Jesus Christ. As Pastor Lindsay and I were preparing for today, we, we've been praying, we talked with each other, and what continued to, to come up in our conversation is what she so eloquently stated and prayed earlier. And I just, I'm grateful to have such a colleague as, as Pastor Lindsay on our staff and as part of our church family. But... We just kept coming back to these two different calls. One of them is a call to repentance. Right? A call to, to repentance, not, not a blame game or a shame game, but the personal accountability for all of us. 
what is our first allegiance? Is our first allegiance to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God? Or is it to a political party or an ideology or to a, a politician? And where do we fall in that? And further, I would just ask you to wrestle with the question that I've been wrestling with my own self. What am I doing in my life that might be further dividing our nation? How is my bitterness, my anger, my rage, my fear, how is that driving a wedge between people in my life that think differently than me, right? A call to repentance. How could I be furthering division in America in the relationships that I find myself in? As my family, my friends, my neighbors, my church. And I just would invite you to, to wrestle with that question yourself. And then, of course, a, a call to hope. That even in the midst of this, God is with us. Even in the midst of this, God has plans for us. Even in the midst of this, God wants us to live life to the full. In America and in all the nations around the world, Democrats and Republicans and independents and black and white and young and old, right? that God sent his son to die for all of us, to come back to life so that we could live life to the full. And so again, a question that I wrestle with personally, and I would invite you to wrestle with as well, is what am I doing to build bridges in my life in America with the people who think differently than me? How am I being a peacemaker? Right? Am I stirring stuff up in social media or with my conversations with friends? Right? How am I advancing the gospel through these dark times? A call to repentance, a call to hope. How am I further dividing the country? How am I bringing people together? I, I, I just hope that you will wrestle with that. And that we will all say, ultimately, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The kingdom of God is our number one priority. And we've got to quit treating each other like enemies. We are brothers and sisters. We are God's children, all of us. And we've got to find a way to move forward peacefully together. So thank you for being here. Thank you for wrestling with this. It'd be easy to change the channel. And if you're still watching, thank you for sticking around because we're going we're gonna to dig into the Bible today. We're in this series talking about a fresh start. And I'd written my sermon about a fresh start with family. And then Wednesday happened. And of course, I had to change a lot of things in that. But what I'd invite you to think about today is we think about a fresh start with our, our, our individual families, our, our personal families, our brothers and sisters, our parents, our grandparents, our children, aunts and uncles, all that sort of thing, I would also invite you to think about a fresh start with our American family, the 300 million people who have the privilege of calling America our home and, and our family. How can we have a fresh start in America? How can we have a fresh start in our church family, right? South Park Church family, the Christian church in America, the Christian church around the world? We're divided over all of these issues. And yet Jesus calls us to be united in him. And so as we think about fresh starts today, fresh start with family, I just would invite you to think about all those different types of families that you and I are a part of. I want to show you a picture today of a statue. It's in a town called Normal, Illinois. I live in Normal, Illinois. It's pretty neat. This picture is of a family. You can see them here. This is called the normal family. You've got the mom and the dad and a little boy and a little girl, and everything's at peace. Right? It's just it's the normal family. It's, it's what this town thinks is a normal family. Well, this, this statue is one of the most uh, vandalized statues in all of America. Right? There's constantly 
graffiti on it, all kinds of things are written on it. The, the town is always having to clean it up. And a lot of people think that's because that it represents an ideal that doesn't really match any of our families. Even if we have a dad and a mom and a boy and a girl, we're never that happy looking. And so when we look at this as, as, as an individual, as a family member, we think, my family doesn't look anything like that. So are they saying that I'm not normal? And if I'm not normal, then I'm going to deface this because it just it, it hurts me. And so today I want us to think about what is a family of God? What, what does it mean to be in a family? Because most of us, we're not that, that pleasant complacent, oh, everything's fine kind of a feel. We feel a lot more dysfunctional in our lives. And it's hard to be in a family. Families can be stressful. Right? There's stress in families. You know, a lot of times we don't choose our families. We're born into families, and, and we, we're born into stressful situations. Even when we get a chance to choose our family, we choose who we're going to marry. We choose to have children, uh, that sort of thing. Even when we get a choice, there's still stress in our families. And in the midst of the pandemic with COVID, it's ramped up the stress in our families times a million, it seems like. Some of us are, are with our families more than ever, and we love our families, but we can't get a break from them. We're in the same house, and that house has become where we work. In addition to where we live, it has become a school where we teach our children uh, online with the help of their teachers. And so we just don't get a break from each other, and it becomes very stressful that, w that we have this cabin fever put together. And then on the other side of that is sometimes in, in, in the COVID-19 situation, we're, we're apart from our family, and we're stuck, and we're alone. And, and many of us are in you know, living situations where it's just us by ourselves, and we're not able to see our families, not even on holidays. And, and so that, that makes the stress even more because it's amplified with our loneliness. We have people who are sick and dying, and, and family members can't be in the same room with them because of COVID-19, and it's heartbreaking. And so it's hard enough to be in a family without a pandemic, and now all that's going on in the world and in our nation with the political challenges and divide and, and just anger over racism and injustice and everything, it's tough to be in a family. It's tough to be in a church family. It's tough to be in the, the family of America. And so can we have a fresh start with family. I think we can. I think God gives us some clues in the scripture, and so I want to dive into that today. And we're going to look at a very important family in the life of the Bible. Pastor Lindsay started off last Sunday so well uh, with this new series by looking into the first written gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of Mark. It's the oldest gospel that was written. It's second behind Matthew because Matthew has a story of Jesus' birth, and that's why Mark is second, but it's the oldest uh, gospel in the New Testament. We're going to look today into the book of Genesis, like the oldest book in, in the Bible. We're going to look at a family that, that started off 2,000 years before Jesus was born. And God came to a, a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah, and he says, I want to make your family into a nation, and you will be great, and you will possess the land of Israel. And through your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. And from Abraham and Sarah came their son Isaac, and from Isaac his son Jacob. Jacob had 12 children that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And from them, fast forward 2,000 years later, comes Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, who's come to save us all. And so God's covenant with Abraham and Sarah comes true through this family lineage that leads to Jesus, who is here for all of us, whether we're from Israel or not. And so we're going to look at this family. And today we're going to look at 
Isaac, right? Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and we're going we're gonna to look at the, the story of Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. And they actually had two sons. They had Esau and Jacob, who were twins. Esau was the first to come out of the womb, so he was the older son by not, not much, maybe a few seconds, maybe a minute or so, and then Jacob. And, and we think about the biblical family that's going to save the world, and we think, surely this is going to be a wholesome family. This is going to be like an Andy Griffith kind of family. It's going to be like the Flanders family on The Simpsons show where everything's right and perfect. But when we get into the meat of Genesis and we meet this family, we're going to find out that this family's as messed up as our families are. That this family's dysfunctional, and God somehow finds a way to work through and use them, even as God works through our dysfunction in our families and is able to use us to do good in the world. So here's what happens. Isaac and Rebekah, they have Esau and Jacob. They both come out of the womb, one at, one run right after the other. And Esau should be legitimately the heir, right? Everything should pass through him, but God, for whatever reason, has is, is chosen it to go through Jacob. right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 sons of Jacob, and moving on down the line. So Esau, he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be in a, in a situation that he's not going to feel very favored. When, uh, when Esau and Jacob are born, Isaac and Rebekah play favorites. Isaac's favorite son is Esau, and Rebekah's favorite son is Jacob. Right? So from the very beginning, this is a dysfunctional family, and, and the parents are guilty of playing favorites, and, and that's not doing their sons any help. Any help. It's, in fact, causing jealousy and bitterness, and it's going to lead to some bad stuff. But when Esau and Jacob are, are young adults, and uh, Jacob was really good at cooking, and Esau, Esau was like a big hunter, and one day Esau had come in, and he was famished. And Jacob said, Esau, I'll give you, some, I'll give you something to eat if you'll trade me your inheritance, right? Maybe joking, maybe not. Uh, and Esau said, I'll take you up on that, right? And so Esau, in essence, was giving away his inheritance, his material inheritance, right? His wealth and, and land and property. As the firstborn son, he would have inherited two-thirds, and Jacob would have inherited one-third. But now Jacob was able to, to trick his brother into trading his inheritance for a simple meal, so now Jacob's going to have two-thirds of the inheritance. Esau's going to have one-third of the inheritance. Esau didn't think much of it at the time, but I think he's going to regret that later. We fast forward in, into their story, and, and Rebecca and Jacob think, well, you know, Esau gave that up pretty quickly. I think we can also get the blessing, right? There was a blessing that, that parents passed on to their children, and basically it was an oral blessing, and the father would say to each of his children, you know, I, I would like for God to bless you in this way. I'd like you to be wealthy or to own land or to be successful in your business or, or whatever that was. And people then believed that that would be like their destiny, that whatever the father said would come true. And, you know, whether or not that happened, but people believed that's what would happen. And so uh, Jacob and Rebekah come up with this scheme to trick Isaac, the father, to give Jacob the blessing of the firstborn that Esau should have had. And when Esau finds this out... He's so mad that he wants to kill his brother. And so that's where we're diving now into Scripture today in the book of Genesis. So let's check this out together. Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. 
Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. Go live with your uncle. When your brother's no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So Esau's had enough. Right? There goes his inheritance. There goes his blessing. There's this scheme. Right? His mom favors his other brother. They tricked his father. Right? I'm done with this. I'm going to kill my brother. And Rebecca gets word of this. And so she says to Jacob, you need to get out of here. Go flee. Go live with your uncle, my brother. Right? He'll take care of you. You know, Things will, will, will get better, and then, then you can come back. Right? But what she didn't know is that when Jacob went into exile for 20 years, right, it turned out to be 20 years that he would be away fleeing from the wrath of his brother. And in that time, his mother, Rebecca, would die, and he'd never see his mom again. Right? And so this, this reminds us that this family chosen by God to save the entire world in this epic story, which we know is the Bible, right, is a dysfunctional family. And what that reminds us is is that every family is dysfunctional, right? There, there's good in every family, and there's skeletons in every family's closet, right? Every family has some dysfunction in it. I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit better about the dysfunction in my family when I look at Jacob and Esau and what went on there, right? At least I'm not playing favorites. At least my sons aren't literally trying to kill each other. So maybe that makes you feel a little bit better about the dysfunction in your family, but make no mistake about it, every family is dysfunctional in some way. Right? We, we think about that as in our, in our personal families, our parents, our children, our brothers and sisters, our cousins, our aunts and uncles. We know it to be true in the American family. We've been talking about that. The 300 million of us who live in America, obviously right now, are facing a, a divide that is vast and it's going to be very difficult to overcome. And we understand the dysfunction of America right now, the, the family of Americans. It, it's even true, right, in God's family, right? You remember from, if you were here with us on Christmas Eve, and if not, it's okay. But in John's gospel, we read this from Jesus. It says, yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, right? When we follow Jesus... Right? We become children of God, daughters of God, sons of God. We are the family of God. We make up the church of God in the world. And, and guess what? Even in the midst of the family of God, there's dysfunction. There's dysfunction in the Christian church in America. There's dysfunction in South Park Church, right? Because we're people, and we make mistakes, and, and, and we play favorites, and there's, there's envy, and there's bitterness, and, and there's jealousy, and there, there's... There's struggle to control and say, I'd like to see this happen in the church and not that happen in the church. And we're in good company. You think about the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, and they were essentially his family while he was in his public ministry here on the earth. Some of them were blood-related, some weren't, but they were like a family. And what did they do? They did some great things together, but they also argued. And, and they said, you know, well, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Right? One of them betrayed the others. And, and and so even in the family of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, there was dysfunction. Right? Every family is dysfunctional. You know why that is? Because sin is dysfunctional. In our lives, we're broken. Pastor Lindsay, she said it. She said, right, the gospel says that we're all broken because we do wrong things against God and each other. Right? There's broken. That's why Jesus came. He came to mend us, right, to, to make us better. 
And, and so that's why he's here. But, but we have to admit that sin is dysfunctional. And our sin right, is visited upon our families. It affects our families. Right? There are consequences for the sin in our lives, and it hurts our family, whether that's our immediate family, our American family, or our church family. We see it in the life of Jacob and Esau. Right? Rebecca and Jacob schemed against Esau and Isaac, and it led to Jacob having to flee for his life and be exiled for 20 years. Right? His family hated each other. His mother died while he was gone. He never saw her alive again. Right? There are consequences for our actions. Our sin is visited upon our family, whether that's our church family, our biological or our adopted family, or our American family. And that's tough. Now, here's the good news. God works through dysfunctional families. God works through broken families. God works through families, right? God still used Jacob, right, and his family to have the 12 sons to be the 12 tribes of Israel to lead to Jesus and to save the world. So God worked through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau, right? God still works through broken people. That's the hope. That's the hope of America. That's the hope of your family. That's the hope of my family. That's the hope of our church, that when we get it wrong, when we're dysfunctional with our sin, Jesus comes and brings his grace, goodness that we don't deserve, and, and transforms us into something better. That's what we celebrate today. That's the call to hope today, that it's dark now, but God's not through with us yet, and there's still time for us in our families, in our country, in our church. And so God works through us. So fast forward the story 20 years. Jacob has learned a lot of hard lessons. God's really been working on his heart and his uncle Laban has given him a very difficult and challenging time. If you want to read that part of the scripture in Genesis, check it out, right? It's, 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 it's fascinating. Jacob even goes on to wrestle with God. He wrestles with an angel. We're going to look at that later in this series, uh, a fresh start, and we're going to get to that. But God goes to work on Jacob, goes to work on his character, and it's time for him to go back home. It's time for him to go back to Israel, time for him to reconcile with his brother Esau. And, and Jacob's a new man. He has a new name, right? He's going to be called Israel. And so he's going to reflect the nation of Israel and God's sending him back. And he's not perfect. He still makes some mistakes. We're going to see some of that. But he's getting ready to go back to Esau and he's nervous. And so he sends a lot of gifts ahead to Esau. And then he hears that Esau's going to meet him and Esau's bringing 400 men with him. And that makes Jacob kind of nervous, but God is sending him forward. So we want to pick up the story where they come together after 20 years of being apart because one wanted to kill the other, because the other one, you know, cheated him out of things that he shouldn't have cheated him out of. And, and so this is what happens. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. And so he divided his children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. And this is where Jacob didn't learn, right? He, he had two wives. And one of them was his favorite wife. So he continued to play the same game that his parents played with him. So some things he improved upon, this was one that he really wrestled with. And, and it just shows we're not perfect. So he put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. So he puts his favorite wife and child in the back, just in case there's violence with Esau. His favorite you know, part of the family would be protected. The others would be, you know, face Esau before they would. So again, you know, some real weird stuff going on. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. At least he manned up and went in front of everybody. But he saw ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. 
Just imagine that, right? 20 years apart, he wanted to kill your brother. Here he comes and he's repentant, right? And Esau comes and he forgives him. That's, this is a powerful scene. And they're going to be able to live at peace with each other. They're not going to live exactly side by side, but they're going to live close to each other. We don't know too much about the story later. They're going to later bury their father together, but it seems like they've really made up. They buried the hatchet and they found forgiveness and they found reconciliation. And what this says to me, it, it gives me hope that God changes our character, right? That God overcomes hostility in families, right? God changes our character. God overcomes hostility in our families, in our relationships, right? Because that's what God does. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to heal and to, and to bind up our broken hearts and our brokenness. And so God changes our character and God works through hostilities in families and can bring reconciliation. When we acknowledge that there's something broken in us, that when we are sinful and we ask God to come and forgive us and to remake us, right? To transform us. That's one of the, uh, the great things that we believe in here. One of our core values is transformation. God meets us where we are and helps us become something more. Right? God can help your family. God can help our church. God can help our nation when we humble ourselves before God and say we can't do it on our own. Right? There's something sick in us. There's something broken in us. And God, we're going to trust you as the great physician to heal us. And this is a beautiful symbol of hope that we see in the very first book of the Bible. If Esau can forgive his brother who he wanted to kill, then there's hope for all of us. There's hope for Democrats and Republicans. There's hope for black and white. There's hope for everything that's going on in our nation right now because God came, sent Jesus to come and to heal us. So what's the point? What's the big idea? What, what's going on today? I think it's this. A fresh start with my family begins with a fresh start with myself. A fresh start with my family begins with a fresh start with myself. Right? A lot of times we're praying to God, change the other person. Right? It's their fault. They, they need to be held accountable. And a lot of times that's true. The other person needs to be held accountable. Right? The other party needs to be held accountable. We should pray for, for God to help work on other people's hearts. But we sometimes forget that we're part of the problem. That, that really, right, a fresh start with my family right, begins with a fresh start with myself. God, how have I failed you? Lord, how am I part of the problem? What can I do? Right? Jacob had to go through some hard stuff to be able to go back and face Esau. Right? And so we need to look inwardly to ourselves. And so as I think about the application for this, again, I think a lot of times it's easy for us to see someone else and say that they're broken and God changed them. And we can continue to pray for that. But I I think maybe a different prayer is something that we need today. And I invite you to think about this prayer that has five parts. And let's pray it together now. And maybe you can continue to pray about this this week. Let's check it out. Let's start one at a time. God, change me. Could you say that out loud, whether you're here in person, you're watching online? God, change me. Take away my bitterness. Let's say that together. Take away my bitterness for my family, for my church family, for my American family. God, i got a lot of bitterness right now. I'm tired and I'm upset and I'm, I'm angry. Right? Help me deal with this. Take away my bitterness. Overcome my habits. Lord, what am I doing to be a part of this? How am I stirring up stuff? 
can continue. Help me step back from my expectations. It's not all about me. It's not all about me and what I want and what I expect. God, help me to get out of the way. What do you expect, God? What do you want? How am I being part of the problem with the expectations that I'm placing upon myself and those around me? And finally, weaken my pride. God, weaken my pride. I am so proud. I want it my way or no way, right? My ego is so big that I can't see that I'm part of the problem. God, weaken my pride. I invite you to think and, and pray about these things. I think Jacob went through this. He wrestled with God. He wrestled with that angel. We're going to get to that again in this series. But a fresh start with my family begins with a fresh start with myself. And I just, you know, a couple of disclaimers about that is when we do this and, and God transforms us, sometimes God will transform us and the people around us won't be as transformed as we are. And then again, we're going to be tempted to have this ego of, well, I've done my work and you haven't done your work. I'm better than you. We can't do that. Right? We've got to treat them with love and respect, even though they're not going through the same process. And maybe that means that we have to have distance from them. We have to set up some kind of boundary, but we can't think that we're better than someone because God's working in us. And how do we know that God's not working in them? But I'm just saying we're going to progress it at different rates. And sometimes God's going to change us. God's going to change the other person. But we're just not going to be chums. We're not going to be pals, right? We're, we're not going to be as close as maybe we would like to be. But hopefully now we can live more peacefully together. Right? When we see each other at family gatherings, it can be more of something to look forward to rather than to dread. We're not going to hang out with each other every day. But, but, but we're more in harmony because God has transformed us. And sometimes we're going to be transformed, they're going to be transformed, we're going to be best friends, and we're going to spend as much time together as we possibly can. There's going to be a, a wide range of things going on, but in the midst of this, I think one question we need to ask ourselves is, how am I supposed to love this person? How am I supposed to love my family? How am I supposed to love my neighbor? Because that's what God's calling us to do. We're going to look at that also in this series. What does it look like to love someone? I want to throw something out there. This is not a biblical concept, but I think there is truth in this that comes from God, and it's through a concept called self-differentiation. Let's, let's walk through this really quickly here. Being able to possess and identify your own thoughts and feelings and distinguish them from others, right? Sometimes we get caught up in this group think, and, and, and sometimes we need to step out and stop listening to all the rhetoric and, and, and think for ourselves, where do I stand in this? Where does God want me to stand in America right now? Where does God want me to stand in my family right now? That I need to take a step back from the ideology that's swimming around me. And I need to think for myself. I need to let God think with me in this. It's a process of not losing connection to ourself, right? Who is God calling me to be in the midst of this? Not what someone else is saying that I need to do. God, what are you calling me to be? Who am I? What is my divine self in this, Lord? while holding a deep connection to others, including those you love whose views may differ from yours. This is the most important part, I think. This is where we're getting it wrong in our families. This is where we're getting it wrong in our church. This is where we're getting it wrong in the family of America. We know what we want and who we are. Hopefully we know who God's calling us to be. The hard part then is while holding a deep connection to others including those who love, who, who you love, whose views may differ from yours, right? This is what it could look like. I know that you raised me to be a Panther fan, that our family loves the Panthers, but you know what? I got to admit that the Patriots are my team. 
and I'm sticking with them, right? Now, that's a light, very light version of what I'm talking about. But to say, you expect one thing, this is where I am, right? How are we going to live together? Maybe we don't watch games in the same household. Maybe we can watch it, and we're, we're kind, and we don't yell at each other. I don't know, but, but, but push that now, right, to say, you know what? I know you raised me to be a Republican, and that you want me to vote for President Trump, and I need to, to support everything that he says, but, but you know what? God's calling me to, to a different understanding, and I just can't do that. But I love you, and I value you, and I think we should work together. We could flip the page on that, right? We were raised to be a Republican. Now I want to be a Democrat. Raised to be a Democrat. Want to be a Republican. Right? This is where we're missing it in America, right? Where we remain connected to each other with people that we care about when we think differently, and we don't see each other as enemies because we love each other. Because we're family. We're a church. We're Americans together. We're brothers and sisters in God. That's where we're missing it. That's where we're losing it. We're pretty good at understanding what we want, maybe not what God wants for us, but we've got to find a way to self-differentiate and to think differently and to see the other person not as an enemy but as a brother and sister, right? as a child of God. And, and that is our hope. That's why Jesus came to bind us back up together, right? To hold us in that tension of repentance and hope. And that's, that's where our hope lies today. I, I see it in our church. I see people on either side of the political spectrum who vote for different people, and yet we still come together because we love each other and we love God. We need more of that in America. We need more of that in our church. We need more of that in our families. And that's where I would challenge you to, to, to be able to think about, you know, how are you self-differentiating in a way that's healthy and building up those who are around us that we care about, but we think differently from. They're not our enemies. They're our brothers and our sisters right? in Christ, in God. I wasn't here last week because I was away with my family, right? Laura and our two boys, Luke and Nathan, and, and we went up into the mountains of North Carolina because it was Luke's 13th birthday. And we wanted to celebrate that. And we'd been talking about going snowboarding. The boys wanted to do that. And so we planned that trip and we were super excited about that. I got a picture here of, of what we were doing. And, and we had a blast. You know, and the, you know, I had this you know, expectation to be like this Norman Rockwell experience. And you know, whenever Luke looked back on his 13th birthday, he could say, you know, we went snowboarding with my family. We had a great time. And uh, dad took off some time from work and we just got away. And, and we had an awesome time. And, and I think he's going to be able to do that. I think Nathan's going to be able to do that. Laura and I are going to be able to do that. And, you know, we had a great time. We got a great picture here, posted it on social media. But, you know, everything that you put on social media, every picture, right, it, it doesn't tell the whole story. We had a wonderful time, but it was also a stressful time, right? We had made plans to go up and get on the slopes, right, pick our equipment up at 8 o'clock, be ready to go at 9 o'clock when they opened up and had all this stuff ready to go. We underestimated the crowd on New Year's week, and we were there at 8, supposed to be skiing at 9, did not get on the slopes until 11, right? and so we're frustrated, and, and the boys are just tired of waiting in line and going here, and so they're starting to gripe and complain, and they're picking up ice balls and smashing on each other's heads, and you know, I've got this idea, like this is supposed to be the Norman Rockwell experience, the 13th birthday you always look back to, and mom and dad were so great, and we had a good time snowboarding, and and, and, and they begin to whine and say, we don't even want to be here. Why are we even here? I'm like, why are you here, right? And, and, I, and I lost it. I was tired. I was stressed going back and forth trying to make all these plans, make it perfect. You're here because it's your 13th birthday. You're here because I took time off work. You're here because we're spending all this money. You're here and you're going to have fun whether you like it or not, right? 
And I didn't self-differentiate. I mean, I knew what I wanted, but my expectations, right, were drowning theirs. And I was so stressed and anxious that I just, I brought all of my junk into them, and it just made that moment miserable, right? I, I didn't self-differentiate. I didn't step away and, and stay connected to them. And thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit intervened, right? And, and I realized that, you know, I'm not helping the situation. I'm the dad here. I'm the, I'm the Christian parent. I'm the pastor. And you know what? My anxiety and all this, I'm visiting upon my children, and I'm making it worse. I'm putting the fun and dysfunction here. And so I said, guys, I'm sorry. This is not how I envisioned it. It's not how you and I envisioned it. Uh, we want this to be a special time. I shouldn't have gotten angry. I know you guys are tired of sitting in line and going back and forth. And, hey, I love you. Let's just make the best out of this. And we did. And we went and we snowboarded and we had fun. But we had to stop. And we had to take that time out and ask ourselves, how am I adding to the division? How am I making the situation better? A fresh start with my family begins with a fresh start with myself. I couldn't blame Luke and Nathan for being upset. I had to look at my own self. How am I adding anxiety to this conversation? And since then, we sat down in our, in our loft where we kind of watch TV and hang out. And I've had to talk to them about what happened on Wednesday. And we've had to talk about what happened last year with the marches around Black Lives Matter and racism and police officers and all that, that's involved. And these conversations are just so incredibly hard. And it's hard for me as a parent to, to stay non-anxious, but I think that's the key. Right? That we have to have the hope of Jesus and we, we can't bring the bitterness and the resentment into the conversation. Right? We have to check ourselves. Right? And, and so I pray for our nation. I pray for our church. I pray for my family. But it all comes back to me and who I am and who God's calling me to be. A fresh start with my family begins with a fresh start with myself. A fresh start with our church family begins with a fresh start with myself. A fresh start with America begins with a fresh start with me. I'm an American. And how is God causing me to be a bridge builder rather than bring division into the world? So I would just would invite you to think and pray about your situation and your family your part in our church, your part in America. Are you building bridges or are you bringing anxiety and burning them down? A fresh start with our families begins with a fresh start with ourselves. And so maybe our prayer simply is, God, change me. God, change me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us pray together. Gracious and ever-loving God, it's a hard time in our world right now, a hard time in America. It's been an incredibly challenging week, Lord, with what happened in the Capitol on Wednesday. And that's on the heels, Lord, of the pandemic. It's on the heels of racial injustice and anger over that. It's on the heels of, do we wear masks or not? Our children are having to go to school remotely. We're not trained how to do that. Our our loved ones are dying. We can't even be in the same room with them, God. There's so much pressure on us right now that we just don't know how to deal with it. And so we lean to you, Lord, the great physician, the great healer, the one who heals families, the one who transforms us, who transforms character. So God, we pray for America right now that you would heal us. We pray for South Park Church that you would make it the best church that we can possibly be, a beacon for our world in this time, a beacon of hope. We pray for our families, Lord, for our parents and our children and our grandparents, our 
grandchildren, our cousins, our uncles, our sisters, our brothers, Lord, all of those, our grandparents, and, and all those in our lives, Lord, that you would bring healing into our families. And let us know that you died for us. You came to earth, died on a cross, came back to life so that we could live life to the full and that we can have a fresh start, Lord. And that begins with us and you. So God, work on our hearts and change us and make us more like you. In the name of Christ, we pray.